when they're struggling and they don't know who to talk to, they're not going to go back to their old teammates because there's that distance there. And then they can't talk to their family or their partners because those people all oftentimes, you know, they helped build them up to achieve their, their athletic success. Mm. And there's a, a lack of understanding or perceived lack of understanding on that part to say, well, you, you know, you're a gold medalist, you're an Olympian, you're a Paralympian, like you, you achieved everything, what's wrong? We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becchio, well placed. Come on, Jay. Come on, Jay. I wish I could play one more down. Keep this jersey on one more play. I give it my all. It has been my pleasure and my honor to represent you all. Listeners, come with me on a journey. We're in Greece. The year is 776 BC. The very first Olympic Games have just taken place. There was only one event. It was a running race called the Stadion. And the winner was a man by the name of Coribus of Elis. And being an athlete was by no means Coribus's dominant identifier. The champ was actually a cook and a baker. That was who he was. That was what he did pretty much his whole life. The race that would land him in the history books was not like this extended long-term goal he set out to achieve where he made a ton of sacrifices, had five coaches uprooted his life, ate paleo to maximize his performance gains, etc. For Corbus's 776 victory, he didn't win any money. He didn't win any great acclaim or status. He didn't even get a medal. The dude got a literal olive branch, and then probably he just went back to making some bread. Can you guys tell that I was a history major? I feel like I really just transported you. To, to the era. Uh, anyway, so fast forwarding, fast forward, fast forwarding, times have changed in big, big ways when it comes to the Olympics, mostly the lack of nudity is kind of what I'm thinking. Of course, now athletes from around the world, starting from a super young age, train for years, dedicate any time and energy they can for a shot at the Olympics. The U.S. specifically takes this whole Olympic thing very seriously. We love the Olympics, and we're good at the Olympics. I don't know if that is grammatically correct, but we're good at the Olympics. We have won more medals at the Summer Olympics than any other country. We are only behind Norway in the medal count at the Winter Games. We just, we really get off on being the fastest, strongest, and the best. And duh, we love our Olympians. We also put a lot on them. If you're wearing that red, white, and blue on the biggest sporting stage, you're a big deal. You've always expected a lot of yourself because you're a star athlete. And we, these overly passionate and patriotic sports fans, expect a lot from you. A lot of U.S. Olympians are professionals with some sort of sponsorship deal, Handfuls of them fall somewhere on the, quote, famous spectrum. 
The extremely competitive field that is the United States means the more all-consuming an individual makes their sport, the better. The more all-in they are as an athlete, the more of a shot they have at all the greatness that comes with being an Olympian. I feel just tense describing all that, this build-up, all that goes into being an American Olympian. Also, Paralympians, a lot of what I just described applies to that community, that infrastructure, those qualities, the time, the energy, and sacrifices. But also, a lot of it is a bit different. Um, something that I go into in episode 7 with Ragnold Mikkelbust. If you want to hear some stuff about just the difference in post-sports life for Paralympians, uh, check out episode 7, Prey. But yes, taking all of this into account, cover your ears if you do not like hearing the Lord's name in vain. Thank the frickin' Lord the ACE program exists. ACE stands for Team USA's Athlete Career and Education Program. The mission of ACE, as delineated by the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, is to provide current and retired Team USA athletes with career, education, and life skills resources that will, one, support athletic performance goals, two, facilitate successful transition to post-elite competition careers, and three, inspire long-term positive engagement with the Olympic and Paralympic movements. We'll be getting more into what exactly that can look like in the heart of this show, but to elaborate on my previous sentiment, I need to say thank the freaking Lord people like the protagonist of today's episode exist. Thank you for Terrace Tiller. Terrace Tiller, or... T, as he is widely known, is one of the many that make ACE the incredible program that it has come to be over the years. It's time for a bit of inception. To understand T's journey into this current role, we have to understand how T got to the place of recognizing a need for a different sense of purpose for himself, a need for a renewed happiness with his life and closure with an end to a chapter. How did he come to pinpoint this desire to do work that helps so many? To see where, when, how those things unfolded, we have to start with T's own time as an athlete. High school, I was a a basketball player, and I I balanced that with strong education. My parents really pushed me um, hard on the academics, but I also grew up in a a very sport-dominated family environment. I don't think they realized it, but, it, you know, academics were always first, but then sport was very much kind of like the cool factor. And that was the area we grew up in. It wasn't just about playing sports. It was, you know, how much are you going out to practice, you know, my basketball skills? My dad would say, go run around the block dribbling the basketball with your left hand so you can sharpen your skills there. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing enough. So it was always ingrained in me to, you know, be an athlete. And then when I got to college, you know, I was going to try to walk on for the basketball team and, and the coach and I didn't really get along as, as well, but I was able to walk onto the cross country and track team, um, just had talent for that uh, randomly. Um, and then there, I think I actually found more of myself personally, um, rather than being in a team environment and constantly kind of 
going with the flow of the team dynamic, I was able to finally be in an individual sport and, and understand more about myself uh, as to like what my strengths were, what I really like to do, how to better push myself outside of a team. Uh, and then when I graduated college, I kind of started losing that a little bit. And it was really fortunate for me to be able to fall into modern pentathlon at the time. Um, I went to college in San Antonio, Texas, a small school called Trinity University. Um, and at that time, the sport of modern pentathlon was based in San Antonio. And going into the 2000 games, they were utilizing our college facilities. Um, so I got to know the, the team going into the 2000 games pretty well. I would uh, go to some of their training workouts. I'd do pace workouts with them on the track. And um, after the games, they basically you know, encouraged me to try out and was able to, to train with them for two years. And then in 2002, I made the move to move from San Antonio, Texas to Colorado Springs, which is where the majority of the men's national team was training. At that time, I didn't really, I wasn't on the national team. I didn't really have anything more than $20 in my bank account, but my teammates basically said, we'll take care of you. We'll help you figure it out. And I made the move and made the jump to go all in on the sport. Um, and I think at that point, you know, it was just, I was very much on the fence of, do I try to do something with my college degree or do I, you know, put everything online and, and just dive head first into sport and, and do all of that. And from 2002 to about 2007, I was, I was athlete first and foremost. And fast forward to 2006, 2007, realized I was incredibly unhappy with myself and who I was becoming as an individual. Um, didn't like who I saw in the mirror. And despite the fact I was becoming a, a pretty decent pentathlete, um, getting to travel the world, getting to see experiences that, and getting to see cities that I just, you know, never even imagined uh, possible, getting to meet people from different countries I had never even heard of. That was an incredible experience, but the overall environment and completely dedicating everything in my life to to sport you know from having to break up break off relationships having to be completely selfish um, in order to achieve a goal um, missing holidays and vacations with family that just took its toll on me and I think at the end of 2006 one to 2007 I decided to retire and it wasn't because of a lack of of confidence in my ability it's more of just a feeling that I just wasn't myself um, or I didn't like who, who I was becoming. Some pretty scary injury stuff was also a factor for T. Towards the end of the 2005 season and 2006 season, um, I was experiencing um, this weird leg tingling um, in my left leg. It was starting my ankle and then by the end of the 2006 season, whenever I would train and even sometimes when I would compete, I couldn't feel my entire left leg. And you know, it was at that time, it was, it, and so it was, that was part of a number of those things that was just like, well, what's going on in my life right now? And do I like my life? And if I truly, truly loved who I was and what I was doing, I think I would have tried to stick it out. But, you know, there's definitely that fear of, you know, I can't feel my left leg and am I going to be able to have kids and walk around and play with them at age, you know, 45, 50? And that, that was definitely something I took into consideration. And then, you know, losing health insurance because I wasn't uh, at the top of my game. So I wasn't qualifying for health insurance. Like those, there's a lot of those type of things and factors that, that played into just being unhappy and being in a kind of a toxic environment. So that led to be me retiring from sport. Um, but following that, 
was, it took about a year and a half to figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, and it was a really tough period. And I think in hindsight, you know, I didn't realize how tough it was. And I didn't realize how dark it was at that time, but I had, you know, pretty good support group around me to help pull me out of it. Um, and then fortunately be able to land a job with the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee at the, at the time, um, definitely helped, help me find some, a new purpose. Um, and when I got into the job at that time, which was in resident athlete services at the Olympic Paralympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, I decided to start creating programs around career development, personal development for athletes at the training center for those things that I didn't have access to. Um, that really created a new sense of purpose for me. I think it says a whole lot about the type of person that T is, that he was able to, first of all, kind of clear the haze that can come with the intense thoughts and feelings that roll in when you have weight pushing down on your mental, emotional, and physical well-being. And also that he was able to use his own experiences where there was this void that really sucked for him and he didn't want it to suck for others. He tried to grab hold of this negative experience for him and turn it into something more positive and productive. Stemming from that work he was doing with Resident Athlete Services, T came into a more robust and focused involvement in those programs and resources he was developing when he joined ACE over four years ago. Now, what exactly does the athlete and career education program encompass? What sorts of things does it do for its members? Right now, what we really look at is how do we assist currently competing athletes from the time that they're listed as an emerging elite athlete, um, you know, when they're about to make a national team, and how do we assist them throughout their athletic journey from the time that, you know, they're developing in, into, that, into that national elite class athlete through sport and then post-retirement and help them with that transition past retirement. When the program initially started in um, 2014, it was primarily about career placement for athletes who are retiring. And the program was set up so that it was about career development and it was, you had staff in there who were really dedicated more towards the job side of things, but I don't think they fully understood the scope of what it meant to be an athlete and what the athlete's needs were. And then myself came on board in, 20, in the summer of 2015. We had a new program director uh, around that same time, both of us being world-class athletes or former world-class athletes. We understood the need uh, around skills and resources was much broader than just jobs after sport. And you know, even from just a tactical piece, what we saw were a number of athletes were getting jobs after they retired, but they weren't emotionally uh, prepared for life after sport. So they had actually leave a job after six months and come back to us for another job. And so when we started doing digging as to what were some of the reasons why they're, they're circling back to us, and it's just flat out that they weren't prepared to tackle that, that space. So we started looking at how can we develop resources and programs to best assist athletes when they're athletes, and it's going to smooth out that transition period. Um, so over the, the course of the last four and a half years, that's what we've set out to do. And we've really broadened the, the spectrum of resources in that space, uh, looking at not just transition resources, uh, you know, with our pivot program, um, but also looking at, you know, athletes want to be entrepreneurs. So we've developed an, an entrepreneurship program that takes athletes to kind of a, a business startup acceleration. We now do a lot with 
uh, tuition grants. Uh, we give out nearly, this year alone, we're going to be close to giving out half a million dollars in tuition grants. There's a lot of mentorship aspect to it, you know, whether it's peer-to-peer of retired athletes assisting current competing athletes, or if it's an athlete who's interested in finance, we can pair them with a, a finance pro- professional um, to help that athlete better determine what are the skills, what are the things that they need to be doing as an athlete uh, to prepare for a career in that space and you know, start preparing two to three, four years down the line. So it's, it's very much more a holistic approach to athlete development. Um, that we're, we're, we're working on and we're continually building new resources in that space. Yeah, ACE has a ton of bases covered and they are continually covering more bases to meet the multi-dimensional demands they see and connecting with all the thousands of athletes with which they come into contact. Something that I really responded to and what T was saying, I thought it was really cool and wasn't aware that this was a component of the ACE program This idea of linking up with an athlete pretty early on when they're young, when they are identified as a potential elite competitor and kind of walking along with them through their career. So it's not just, boom, you retire, now we're going to match you up with someone. Here are these things that they might be able to help you with. The rationale behind having this longer cultivated relationship is simple. I think what's most important, and, and you, know, you as an athlete, I'm sure recognize that, is that you're going to turn to someone you trust for assistance. And if we're identifying athletes earlier on in the process, we can start to build those those individual relationships with the athletes so that they, whether or not they know what they want to do, they know they can turn to us for assistance and for support. And they know that we have their back. Um, and they might not say, okay, I specifically want X, Y, Z resource, but they'll say, I'm a little bit lost, or I think I want to do, I want to go down a certain path. Um, then, you know, we've built trust, we built equity with that athlete over the course of years um, to really dig in and, and help the athlete on what they truly need versus it being so transactional. Let's zoom in. What does a day in the life of T look like? I mean, it's always cliche. There's that. There's no, you know, typical day um, in our space. But and I think career coach is a, is a that title doesn't do our work justice. Um, there's a lot more life coaching that goes into what we really do. Um, and then me specifically, I'll do a bit of one-on-one um, work with the athletes of building rapport, building relationships with those athletes, and better really understanding what their needs are. And that could be done over email, over text, over phone, over video conference calls, um, or even in person. Um, And that's on a week-to-week basis. But I would say the majority of what I do is more program management. And it's, you know, we're trying to serve 2,500 to 3,000 athletes. And that's current competing. And then there's another, you know, roughly 5,000 Olympic and Paralympic alumni that we want to offer resources to. So, you know, our mandate is how do we create resources to scale? And resources that, you know, some resources are going to be transactional where, you know, an athlete who's current competing or retired can look at our website and say, I'm, I'm interested in, I, I need to understand taxes, how to pay my taxes as a self-employed contractor. How do I go about doing that? And we want to build education resources in that space. So a lot of my day-to-day is, is around connecting with people who are experts in, in various fields to help build out those as education elements. And whether it's you know, a, a graphic or um, a one-page PDF or, or 
uh, document or even creating a workshop around business acceleration, I, I, I look at how can I create those resources for you know, those several thousand athletes that we're working, working for. He's got a hand in everything from life skills development programs to career services to mental health resources. T does a bit of it all, which seems so fitting for this guy in particular who was a pentathlete, aka the competitors who can wield all kinds of skills in such vastly different spaces. Considering that the ACE team is interacting with, has interacted, and continues to interact with so many athletes facing retirement and in retirement, I was curious as to what T has seen as some sort of common themes that athletes struggle with as they make the transition out of sport. Very much a loss of identity, loss of sense of self, but I think it's also a loss of the camaraderie of, of the team. Even those athletes in an individual sport, there's you know, there's that locker room culture of your peers. um, And that's what you grew up with from age five when you discover your love of that sport. And, you know, that's where your friend groups are. And then when you're out of sport, you don't have that natural connection. And that's really, really difficult for an athlete. And I think that sense of group camaraderie paired with the loss of identity, it really shatters a lot of athletes. And that's what we seek to build with, um, specifically with our pivot program. ACE's Pivot Program is a two-day workshop that T plays a huge role in organizing. It's been held a few times over the course of the last couple years and serves up to 16 athletes each session. The Pivot Program includes talks from experts and consultants on things like normalizing transition and adjusting to post-athlete life. It also incorporates small group discussions that encourage conversations about personal drive and confidence and reflection on individual dreams. A recent one even included a dinner that had a learn-to-cook theme. I'm only speaking as a former D3 athlete, so I somehow feel like I have less of an excuse, but yeah, learning how to cook as a retired athlete feels useful to talk about. Other resources, we find that when we're able to bring in a world-class swimmer and they talk to a wheelchair basketball player and they're bringing in a judo athlete the commonalities between all three of those athletes even though they've never met each other they're different ages they competed in vastly different arenas there's a lot of similarity because it's it's a common language of sport and that's what they're missing in life or that's what they feel they're missing when once they retire um, and so we try to seek to rebuild that tribe for them um, and bring them back into the fold and say, hey, this U.S. Olympic and Paralympic community is a family for you. And that's going to be a family for life. And we want to support that. Very into the concept of expanding and highlighting tribe through sport. Absolute, as the Swedes would say. On the flip side, I wanted to know if there was anything about the retirement transition that maybe tends to sneak up on athletes. Things that are like, I did know this was going to be hard because of X, Y, and Z, but I really didn't think of this. Again, it's just that, that, that who can they turn to uh, when they're struggling? And I don't think athletes really recognize that piece because as they're trying to move away from sport, because they've either they've been injured or they were cut from a team or, you know, they just kind of had a falling out, whatever that might be. A lot of times that the athlete leaves not on their own terms or they leave on terms that they're not completely happy with. 
Right. Um, so when they're struggling and they don't know who to talk to, they're not going to go back to their old teammates because there's that distance there. Mm-hmm. And then they can't talk to their family or their partners because those people all oftentimes, you know, they helped build them up to achieve their, their athletic success. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a lack of understanding or perceived lack of understanding on that part to say, well, you, you know, you're a gold medalist, you're an Olympian, you're a Paralympian, like you, you achieved everything. What's wrong? Like it, you, you had it really good. And the athlete just sitting there saying like, no, you just don't get it. And these are people like the closest people in their life that they, they can't have those conversations with. And I think that's from that athletes tend to spin out and it, it, those issues, those, that lack of ability to really talk about the things that they're struggling with, it plays on, on their head and they feel abnormal. They don't know how to normalize that conversation to say I'm struggling and they don't know who to turn to. Um, and I think that's where, you know, it bleeds into relationships aren't going as well. The work environment, if they've gotten a job, they just don't know how to navigate that experience as well. They don't know how to, it, it, it just, they begin to, to function less as a, as a normal person. I think that even when athletes understand that on paper, the experience of it itself is really a shock to their system. So that's, again, that's where we try to build that community around them, that, that community of support to say, hey, like we have people, whether it's a career coach, an executive coach, um, we try to bring in um, clinical psychologists who work in this space to really help talk, help them talk through that, that those struggles and normalize that conversation to say, like, you're going to go through this and you're going to go through this for a short period of time, but we want you to understand it's okay and that you have peer support and you have the backing of, of the ACE program to help you through this. At this point, I was I was like, "Damn, T, you are hitting me in my." Well, I'm I'm ninety percent soft spot, but I'm like, "T, you're hitting me in the softest of spots." I was glad though that he, you know, coming from his perspective, made note of that isolation feeling because it's definitely a thing that's come up in conversations with a few guests. And as as you can hear in describing his work, T speaks so much about the humanness that makes the ACE program what it is, fortifying and tapping into relationships and community, whether that's the building trust throughout an active athlete's career or these workshops that really seek to dig into what makes these athletes people beyond their sport. Deep things. So I felt like we had to bring to light some of the stories of people affected by this work and coaches like T. Just wanted to know if there are any particular moments or experiences that really stood out to him during his work so far with Ace. But when you're just kind of helping people left and right, wake up, impact a life, instead of scroll through Instagram, brush teeth, scroll through Instagram, eat breakfast, scroll through Instagram. This is just me reading my Google calendar from today. In that time, T, you know, he's pretty much already helped someone get into college. So yeah, doing the work T does, it's hard to narrow down and pick some highlights. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of a, a good one that's a short one I, I, I can share. Um, I know, I put you on the spot. I'll tell two quick stories uh, then. 
One is when, um, so when I retired, I was working in resident athlete services at the, the Colorado Springs Training Center. And in that space, it was kind of like, not so much being a resident, a life assistant type of thing, an RA in the, in the college dorm, but it's like the people who with the university work to manage those RAs, that type of situation. So I, li- I still lived with the athletes. I still wor- worked with them quite closely on a day-to-day basis. And the dining hall culture, that's where, you know, like as an athlete, that's where you, you go and have your conversations. <laughs> and just from that, just those those group conversations, those in, individual conversations, you just realize like how much that personal support and having someone in, in your corner, how much is that that's needed? Because those are organic, informal conversations where people can really be who they are. Or you learn to kind of see through athletes BS and call them on it. Um, and you know it's not so much that well I think is valuable that I was an elite athlete I think it's more valuable that I have the ability to listen and to call people out or to really be empathetic to where they're at and to say hey like what's going on how can I help and it's just being in those situations that's where I've realized like it is that personal touch it is building those relationships that really matter in this space Um, and that's just been something over time um, and then one other quick story that I'll share is I, I was giving a workshop to athletes in the classes uh, about a couple weeks ago, and it was on public speaking. And I, I gave, I told a story about how I like kind of realized that I might be good at this, or this is something I might be passionate about. And I was with um, a good friend of mine in at the Beijing Olympics, and as a as a staff, you can get credentialed to field of play access, and this athlete didn't have um, her family there. She wasn't able to make the final in her sport. And I was, because I was had field to play access, I was able to get down to the field and just give her a big hug and say like, I'm here for you and it's okay. And, you know, I, I'm still proud of you. And it was just a moment like that, that was really important for her. And it was really important for me and, and recognize like how much of an impact I can have on an athlete's not just their sport experience, but their life experience. A lot of moments like that where, you know, just what I'm doing is not just the right thing for me. It's just, it's what I love. It's those type of moments is that it makes it all the more meaningful. It's so cool and so sweet to wrap things up here. T is a legit expert on this stuff. So of course I had to ask. Last question. Do you have any quick word of advice or wisdom for those listening that have maybe been retired for some time or they just retired or those that are heading into their final season, whatever it may be? Sure. I think um, there's a couple of different quotes that that jump out. And, you know, we have our pivot program where we uh, basically create a safe space for athletes to really become vulnerable and talk about the, the struggles that they're going through. And at, at the beginning of that, that program, we do introductions and then we kind of share quotes that are meaningful to us. And um, one of the quotes I, I share and one of the things that I kind of live by myself, it's, it's not what you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And as a big introvert, um, it's important for me to continue to put myself out into the world um, so that people know that the work that I'm doing. But at the same time, it's, it's you know, your, your reputation and how people view you is going to carry farther than what you can physically and so the more you can be present with people and really be genuine 
that that goes a long, long way. And I think as an athlete, when you're trying to figure out your next career, um, you're trying to figure out, you know, a sponsorship deal. You're trying to figure out um, who your tribe is. I think it's just really important to be genuine and to be authentic and to connect with as many people as possible because those are the people are going to to assist you throughout life. And they're going to do that when you're not even in the room. And those, when people are having conversations about you when you're not in the room, you want those conversations to be positive and you want to be top of mind because those people are going to pull you into opportunities that you never dreamed would be possible. Such great takeaways for not just Olympians and Paralympians, but average Joe athletes like you and I. I want to take this time at the end to talk about the new added materials section of runalongpodcast.com. Here you can check out all kinds of fun, extra stuff, interesting, educational, extra stuff from previous episodes. So for this episode, I am going to post a couple of things in that section that showcase the great work that Ace is doing. Um, But be sure to scroll down, check out some of the other stuff that complements other episodes. It's just so great to learn that ACE exists. Hopefully it can stand as a model or serve as a blueprint for other sports organizations and teams. Anybody that's dealing with athletes and cares about athletes as, as whole people. It was also just an honor to hear T's individual story. Thank you to him for coming onto the podcast. And thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.